0: Welcome back, everybody, to another week of the Last of Us Nerds podcast. We're excited to be back here with you guys. I'm one of your hosts, Jacob, joined as always by Tom. For those that might be new, your quick little rundown, we are Last of Us super fans, I guess you could say, and uh, we're passionate about the the game, so we decided to... Bring that passion to podcasting and talking about HBO show, The Last of Us. Week by week, we break down the episodes, offer some comparisons to uh, the game and how the show handle things, and just do a a detailed breakdown of what uh, each episode has in store for us. It was a fun one this week. Tom, uh, how'd you enjoy the episode?
1: I enjoyed the episode quite a lot. I actually have a Molotov hot take on that here coming up pretty quickly just want to remind everybody once again this is a spoiler free podcast for the vast majority of it so like we said we're fans of the game we're going to be discussing changes and adaptations and context that we know additionally from the game but we're not going to be spoiling anything uh having to do with future episodes of this television show um couple couple quick hits that we want to get into before we, we, we dive deep on how we felt about the episode so first of all We know that we're getting an early episode this this coming week. It's going to be released on Friday night uh, instead of Sunday, not competing with the Super Bowl. I want to thank you, HBO, for doing this specifically for me. Uh, I'm actually going to the Super Bowl. Very excited uh, to cheer on my Chiefs. We're going to be talking a good amount about Kansas City in this episode. I'm excited to do that. Um, We're not 100 percent sure when we're going to record the pop. We're thinking we're going to do it on Saturday. So it might be available by Sunday. Uh, but stay tuned and follow us on Twitter at NERDS, and we will make sure to keep you posted on that. Again, reminders, send in some mailbags. We we're lighter on mailbag questions this week than we were last week, and those really help us sort of shape the pod, and it's fun to interact with the audience. So make sure you send those questions in each week. You can email us, NERDS at gmail.com. You can reply to us on Twitter at uh, or you can shoot us a DM as well. Our DMs are open on that. Uh, also, want to remind people, keep sending in those five-star reviews. We got a bunch of actually great reviews uh, this week. Greatly appreciate everyone that tuned into the podcast. One review from Radical Ruckus reads, All my friends love this podcast, not because they listen to it or even know it exists, but because they aren't prepared to talk to me for 90 minutes of deep dive on every episode. Seriously, though, this feels like chatting with a couple of friends about the show. Highly recommend to anyone looking for that deep dive. Radical Ruckus, thank you so much. Everyone who's left a five-star review, thank you so much. Please continue to do that. It really helps us out a lot. Uh, We need the algorithm to help us out uh, in order to get us in front of more ear holes. So spread us like the cordyceps. Uh, We also wanted to mention something that we uh, forgot to mention last episode, which is that Annie Wershing, the original voice actress for Tess in the game, passed away at 45 from cancer. Um, Obviously, we're very sad about that. She was a a great performance of the game, especially if you're going back to the game or watching the cinematic playthrough after the fact. Uh, I think you will really be impressed with her. She brought a lot of personality and energy to that performance. As Tess, um, there's also a GoFundMe up for uh, for taking care of her boys uh, as well. That I think you can find on Neil Druckmann's Twitter. Jacob, it seems like people are watching the show as well. Yeah, it's a uh,
0: it's wild how much it is growing each and every week. This week, another new high. Uh, they're doing this week over week, which I was just looking at an article, that is abnormal. Like even when you look at Game of Thrones, House of Dragon, Euphoria, some of HBO's other shows, they, there's typically a dip from week one to ensuing episodes. <laughs> Last of Us hit another high. 7.5 million people tuned into Sunday's episode, which is up 17% from the 6.4 million that watch episode three. And that was even competing directly with the Grammys there was no heat check for, uh, for The Last of Us and Craig Mazin and Neil Druckmann. They weren't going to go up against the Super Bowl this week, which is probably smart, as you noted. We'll get it on Friday. I'm going to be interested to see what the viewership in that one is going to be, just with it being a Friday episode. But it this was a great episode for to have more and more people join. It was a I don't want to say a filler episode necessarily, but maybe a little less, uh, not quite as much action and drama and storylines, but still quite a bit. I think. Uh, what was just kind of the your overall takeaways from this episode?
1: Okay, so here's my i of hot take, and I'm already confident you're not going to agree with it. <laughs> I, I think this was my favorite episode. Uh, I don't. Th- I'm not saying it's the best episode. Uh, I think probably the premiere and episode three had a lot more. Technically speaking, going for it, and it was uh, probably a lot more of an accomplishment. But, Jacob, what do I always say is the, the number one thing that I love about The Last of Us so much?
0: Oh, that's... You said a lot of things you love. The details... Ah, that that's, ju- that's true.
1: Okay. I'll, I'll give you the answer, right? It's it's Joel and Ellie, right? Those oh, characters, well. the dynamic between them, the way it grows. And this was such a good Joel and Ellie episode. It um, and it, it it not only brought to life uh so many moments of the game that we like and definitely there were some scenes in here that were like shot for shot word for word that we're going to get into but they also explored different ways to uh to explore that dynamic that I thought were really heartwarming and honestly I I think a lot of the audience probably needed that especially after how sad <laughs> yeah. the show is and how sad the show will be it's 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 not going to be all sunshine and rainbows from here but uh I really really loved the Joel and Ellie this episode. And again, that's, 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 that's what makes the show, the, the, the story very special is those two characters. And I really liked a lot of the way they explored that. I earnestly
0: thought you're going to say, because it was in Kansas city. And honestly, I would have, <laughs> I would have been fine with it, with that rationale
1: that didn't hurt. And we're going to get, I'm going to get into that a little bit later. It was really impressive how well they recreated Kansas city in uh, Canada. Uh, they, they did it way more, Accurately than they needed to, or than certainly than I was expecting. Um, the, those those people in in Massachusetts uh, are, are probably upset that they didn't show the same faith to the <laughs> ten miles west of Boston with the mountainous Canadian <laughs> landscape, but that's fine. I, I don't care. The I, it was a
0: tremendous Joel and Ellie episode, and that is we talked a lot about that. That is just kind of the driving force of this show. We we spoke in the very first episode we did before. The show even started. That was absolutely the thing that they had to nail was this dynamic between Joel and Ellie because if it was off, then the whole series and season was going to be off. They have (laughs) nailed it and then some, and it continues to be impressive and a joy to watch week after week. Bella Ramsey, I feel like we say this every week, that she's just getting better and better as Ellie, which really is just like, how it should be, because when you play the game, Ellie opens up more and more and you see more of her personality as the game goes on, which is what we're getting with Bella Ramsey. Each week the the show goes on, it's kind of another layer peels back and you see a little bit more and a little bit more. And you even get that with Joel this week. It, it's something that we'll talk about later. I, Joel didn't really open up quite this much in the game or not quite as quickly uh, in the game as he has in the show, but it's been a joy to watch. And there was a lot of fun moments where you're just laughing along with him this week.
1: For sure. And obviously one thing we were curious slash mildly concerned about uh, over the first few episodes is like, okay, wait, is Ellie just like meaner this go around or like, <laughs> yeah. is she a psychopath? Maybe uh, I feel like this episode did a lot to quell those concerns. Um, obviously she's getting more comfortable with Joel this section of the story both in the game and in the show the biggest thing that happens in my opinion is that Joel and Ellie begin to trust each other yeah. and that manifests in, a, in some very interesting ways uh, in this episode that we're excited to talk about uh we get uh, a good sense of the brutality of the world we get a lot of Kansas City which i'm going to i'm going to get give some further details on that we get a new character Kathleen uh, and Perry two new characters that we're excited to talk about. We got some additional backstory for Henry that we've never gotten before, which uh, we're not going to spoil anything regarding Henry and Sam or or the role that they have to play in the story, but we'll be talking a little bit about the details that we get uh, in this episode for sure. So anything you want to say before we jump on right into it? Yeah, this was... I
0: was very excited that right away we got the pun book. We're going to talk about it, but the fact that it took about 90 seconds into the episode, it felt like before she whips out that pun book. Tremendous. It, it was, I'm glad they made it as big of a part in this episode as it was in the game.
1: Part one Scarecrow Ellie has a moment to herself to practice holding and pointing her gun. She is infatuated with it and she enjoys looking at herself in the mirror, pointing it like a badass. She seems to have some technical know-how with the gun, having learned some from the Federal School, which we'll talk more about later. Joel is siphoning fuel out of cars. They can only make it about an hour at a time on a tank of it now because gasoline does deteriorate uh, over time, especially over 20 years. Ellie asks Joel where he would go back in the days where he could go 10 hours on a full tank. Pretty much nowhere. Joel commands Ellie not to wander off while he's fueling up, so Ellie busts out a book of puns to kill the time. She joyously delivers each pun joke as Joel pretends not to be abused. Back in the car, Ellie finds some more music, a cassette of Hank Williams and a male porn magazine. She pretends that the pages are stuck together to make Joel nervous that he might have to explain some things to her before making clear that she was just messing with him. When they stop for the day and pull off into the woods, Joel and Ellie have a 20-year-old Chef Boyardee ravioli dinner. Not quite the same cuisine that Bill and Frank were used to, but Joel and Ellie both enjoy it. Joel warns Ellie how dangerous it would be if people, not infected, could find them so they don't make a fire. At night, instead of falling asleep, Ellie wants to ask Joel what she claims is a very serious question. Why did the Scarecrow get an award? But Joel surprisingly knows the answer because he was outstanding in his field. And Joel quickly turns from Ellie as soon as he can feel a smile coming on. Ellie didn't get him to laugh just yet, but she's close. Before sleeping... Ellie asks Joel once more for assurance that they're going to be okay. That no one's going to find them while they're sleeping. And Joel does assure them. Excuse me. Joel does assure her and and she goes to sleep. But now Joel is the one that can't shake the thought. He glances out into the woods. Then he looks at his rifle and maybe his watch. I can't quite tell. And he can't sleep because he knows he has a job to do. He stands watch with his rifle as Ellie sleeps. So, First question I want to get into. We did get a question from Harrison which says, if they ever go back to the cold opens cuz obviously we don't get a cold open in this episode, is there any more macro area of the outbreak that you'd want to see them explore? Jacob, I'm putting you on the spot. I didn't warn you about this question, but what do you think? Um
0: about the outbreak itself at this point probably not. I think you could potentially show a, maybe a different version of just kind of the chaos of the day and of the, I guess of the night just to really drive that home. But they did a, a good job in the two cold opens. They did do of giving us all that exposition. And then we got a pretty long look uh, through uh, the first episode at, at outbreak day itself. So potentially just a different viewpoint, maybe through the eyes of a new character or, that we'll have at some point, Henry and Sam or someone further down the line that I'll try to avoid spoiling or anything, but a different character, maybe through Ellie. Well, Ellie wasn't around. So maybe through Tess or something like that, it would be an interesting look at it, but I don't know what outbreak day that there's anything else really to look at. I'd be interested in just seeing what Joel talked about there. His time with Tommy and Tess and stuff like that is maybe a cold open.
1: My, one of my first reactions was like, "Hmm, maybe like, you know, how how would the president react to news like this?" But then I remembered canonically, it's George W. Bush. There's even like a picture uh, of him in the classroom. I'm like, "Nah, you know, no, I, I don't, I don't, I don't need to see that take." Uh, so no, I th- yeah, I think I'm good on that. Uh, I wouldn't say no to more tests or Bill in the future, but mostly just because that would be fun to find different ways to go back and uh, bring those characters back if they had something to say about it. But generally speaking, I think I would be okay if they didn't go back in time with cold opens. But if they do, I I think it's probably more interesting to explore things happening with Joel and Ellie. But yeah, good question.
0: I'd be fascinated to see how Bill reacted to the news of outbreak day, because I feel like it would just be a lot of I told you so or something along those lines about as the government falls all around them and. Uh, whatnot and as he is just prepared as ever for this
1: yeah but also i i don't need i don't need to see the uh the luke skywalker cgi of of making nick offerman look 20 years younger either so it's like <laughs> fair it's okay fair. I'm, I'm good without that
0: so we are as i mentioned immediately introduced to the great no pun intended volume two t-o-o by or er, in uh by will livingston at the start of this episode, this was in the game. It was a, uh, it was right around this time that it was introduced into the game as well. And there weren't many like direct moments where it was used. There were some, it was, it, it typically felt like when you would just kind of stand and wait that she would rip out this pun book and, uh, she would start reading off puns, but that being said, everyone that was said, I think everyone that was said in the episode was in the game. Um, it's a, a bit different in terms of how they use it, but it still kind of accomplishes the same thing as kind of this bonding and this peeling back the layers and showing a little more personality. And and you learn that Ellie uh, really enjoys a good pun or a good dad joke.
1: I was going to say, I'm not even sure they really used it as a moment of bonding in the game, because I don't think, I think Joel likes the puns, show Joel likes the puns a lot more than uh, game Joel does. And like you said, a big part of that, obviously, is it's a different mechanic. This, This was something that just would happen during gameplay, which is a, it was a fun surprise. Like if you're standing there and if you're looking at your phone for a second and all of a sudden Ellie's like, all right. And she busts out her book of puns and starts <laughs> reading them to you. That's such a fun little moment in the game. But they 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 chose to incorporate that into the story in a much more meaningful way that I thought was a great decision because they they used it to have this these heartwarming moments of bonding between Joel and Ellie, culminating obviously at the end of the episode where we see Joel laugh for obviously the first time uh, that we've seen him laugh since Outbreak Day, which does a lot. It shows sort of the effect that Ellie's having on him. But yeah, I, I thought they're, they're they're obviously looking for ways to incorporate things from the game, but heighten the meaning behind it. And I thought this was very well done. I'm trying to
0: think: Does Joel ever laugh in the game? I don't. Uh, not no. Not at
1: that. Yeah. Not at the puns. I don't think he's ever impressed by the puns. He knows all he likes them. but
0: Yeah, definitely not the puns. It would be, a certain, especially since Outbreak Day, I don't know that there's a moment where we get a genuine laugh like the one we have at the end of this episode through the puns. So, yeah, it was used in a, a really a different way. I think a good way. I, I liked it, uh, how they incorporated this to... Make it more central to the story versus the game where it was like I like I said, I was very excited. I'm glad they used the pun book. It was in the it was in the game, but it was this more passive thing in the background that only happened if you like you said, were were on your phone and not paying attention right after we get the pun book, we get almost a shot for shot remake line for line, everything almost nearly identical. Of the car scene from the video game. One of the only differences is it is a different Hank Williams song that plays. This one is what inspires the title of the episode, which I don't think I mentioned. Please hold. Please hold on to my hand.
1: Please hold Uh, to my hand.
0: Or yeah, excuse me. Please hold to my hand, which is a lyric from that song. I'm sure, as always, did you uh, do some research on, on that song?
1: Well, not even research on the song. So the the song actually is in the game. It's called "Alone and Forsaken." Uh, it's we, we hear a different song at first when he pops in the cassette. and we're like, "Oh, that's a winner!" Uh, I believe actually initially they when they wrote the song the the scene they wanted the song to be "Ring of Fire" by Johnny Cash, but I think they didn't get the rights to it or whatever, so they switched it to Hank Williams. But then "Alone and Forsaken" is actually what's playing as they roll into Pittsburgh, which is now Kansas City. They changed this section of the game, which we'll, we'll talk about more in a little bit. Um, it, and right before, like they get ambushed, that's that's the song that's playing. But I was really confused because when I was looking on Wikipedia, the name of the episode titles, we got most of them except I, I, I think we still don't have the name of the finale. But other than that, I think we have all of them. But it was listed as "Please Hold My Hand" and not "Please Hold to My Hand," which is the lyric in the song. So I was like, "Oh, okay." But the official title is "Please Hold My Hand." Doesn't matter at all. Just one random thing that I was like, "Huh, that's interesting." Uh, and. Yeah, it's uh, it's sort of a sad song, but it it's very beautiful and kind of haunting as they're driving across the landscape and you see a banding roller coasters and a train that's gone off the tracks in the distance. Um, and the last line we hear before the, the song cuts cuts off is forsaken, forgotten without any love, which is maybe intentional talking about Joel there, uh, at least as as his current state before Ellie comes into his heart. But yeah. Uh, We thought he was getting replaced last Mm -hmm. episode when uh, Linda was what was in the cassette. But lo and behold, Ellie found another cassette back there. But I got to talk about the magazine (laughs) because, okay, in the game, she steals the magazine from Bill's pile of stuff, even though Bill's nervous about Ellie stealing the pile of stuff. Again, Bill alive in the game. Uh, R.I.P. show, Bill. But she steals his porn magazine from the pile of stuff, and that that's one of the sort of implications along with finding the body of Hank that, that Bill was gay, but in this, the magazine cover is in the truck. Jacob, I gotta ask you, why does he have a porn magazine in his truck? What's going on?
0: There are some implications there. I chose to believe that on his day where he forages around the city that he made a stop at Maybe the local bookstore, or maybe a racier store to uh, pick up some reading material while he knew he was about to be locked into his house for years on end. And maybe that one fell out of the bag and stayed under the, the seat for a while until a uh, curious 14 year old was sitting in the back seat 20 years later and found it. Yeah, it was <laughs> the magazine cover was identical. To the game, like I said, everything about the lines was absolutely identical to the point that I audibly yelled, bye bye, dude, as she tossed it out the window. The only difference was that in the game, she tosses it out the window in front of a sign that shows you Pittsburgh X number of miles away. Uh, They obviously weren't going to Pittsburgh on this one, so it didn't land there. But That was about the only difference in this scene. What did you think as a whole of, of getting a, a scene that was shot for shot almost with the game?
1: Uh, I liked it. I wouldn't I wouldn't have hated it if they if they if they tweaked around with us and changed some lines on it. But I, I think it's totally fine that they did that. I think this is actually the first scene they ever wrote for The Last of Us. I remember they were using it when they were trying to cast Joel and Ellie. So that's one just other little little tidbit from it. Um, but yeah, like you said, really word for word remake of the scene so nothing really su- surprised me or shocked me from it uh don't have much to say on it other than it's just another example of ellie beginning to show some of her humor to joel for the first time uh, other than reading the book which i think that is a sign of that she's gaining more comfort around him i I know for me personally that's one thing that i'm not the most social person in the world i'm not the most anti-social person in the world either but definitely it, how I can tell my guards coming down a little bit around other people is when I start to be a lot more jokey and, and silly. Uh, so I, I think Ellie's obviously the same way. And I think that's one indicator that this, that this scene is that she's starting to feel that way about Joel is feeling a little bit more trusting of him and she can start letting her walls down a little bit.
0: The, the other takeaway I had from this kind of first section, and I mentioned it earlier on this is a more open and kind of caring version of joel and we will see it throughout the episode in the game at this point in the game he is far more closed off he is still very much um i don't know if it's upset about how things transpired with tess or it's a mixture of different feelings and just years of being closed off emotionally he doesn't quite open up this quickly. As he does with Ellie in this episode. For example, the staying up all night watching over Ellie. I mean, we don't get a a sleeping episode, which we'll mention in a minute, in the in the game or a sleeping scene, I should say, in the game. So we don't get anything directly like that. But that type of thing, I don't think game Joel would have done at this point. It's not that he was not protecting Ellie, but it was just not to that degree it's interesting to see how they are choosing to portray joel in the show i don't think it's a bad thing i just think it's a an interesting choice that they've made to make him this more open caring person show him as more of a protector which we've heard referenced a couple times he is much more of a protector in this in the show versus how he is in the game is that a change you've noticed? And is it one that you have any feelings on yet?
1: I'd say the, the biggest way to describe it is he's, he's making more of an effort early yeah. on, earlier on, like especially later when he tries to comfort her, which we'll talk more about that in a moment. He's He's making more of an effort to be a normal, empathetic person than certainly he is at this point in the game. I would say coming out of the bill section of the game, the biggest thing that probably accomplishes him is I think he's starting to respect Ellie more at that point. One of the last things he says to Bill is like, you got to admit, she, she held her own back there. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's part of where he's at in the game is I don't think he's like loves her yet at this point, but he's starting to respect her and be like, okay, you know, maybe the, having this kid along is not going to be as bad as I thought. Uh, but yeah, cer- certainly I think he's, he's making more of an effort to be uh, a little bit more warm. So a couple things to note here I, I thought i really liked the the line of "Well, where did you go when you had this ability to drive 10 hours at a time <laughs> well pretty much nowhere like isn't that the fucking truth that at, at any point i could go on a weekend trip and drive a large distance away in the country and go see somewhere else and i, I really don't i'm just I'm, I'm staying home and watching the last of us which I enjoy, but you you know what I mean. It's just it's a good reflection on everyday life and maybe some of the things we take for granted for sure. Uh, I thought that the scene with the gun was was a little interesting at the start. I think we can infer definitely some things, especially from what Mazen Druckmann said on the podcast, that Ellie wants to be someone that can hold her own and wants to be mm-hmm. someone capable and and can kill to survive if need be. And we see she runs into some challenges with that later, but. That was an interesting scene. I was like, hmm, we're just, she's just like, ooh, guns are cool. But I think we get a little bit more insight there. Um, and yeah, I, I love seeing this, like we talked about, that scene of them going to sleep and then Joel not being able to sleep and uh, realizing he needs, to, he needs to stand guard and, and protect her, which you know, I, I feel like come on, like in the morning, at least tell her, like, hey, I didn't get much sleep because I was worried. Can, you know, can you uh, <laughs> it's light out now, can you just keep an eye out and let me get a few hours for you no know, be just coffee and good to go, which I don't think that's healthy. I think I think you need to get some sleep, you know.
0: There were some practical things that, that I had some questions about in this. Would it not more. be more comfortable and probably convenient to sleep in the truck versus sleeping on the ground, especially If you're not going to have a campfire, would it not make more sense to, whether in the bed of the truck or in the truck itself, would it not make more sense to sleep in the truck?
1: Uh, Devil's advocate, he probably has a couple things on his mind. So you saw how he like cocked the rifle and had it right next to him, like ready to go. So A, that's probably easier to do when you're lying on the ground with that much room. B... Probably harder to hear someone coming if you're in the truck. I suppose you could lower the windows, but even still, it's probably easier to hear like the snapping of twigs or something, which obviously plays a role later in the episode that he doesn't hear. But that uh, uh, devil's advocate, you know, but you you raise a good point. It's probably more comfortable in the truck, but maybe comfort's not the number one thing he's concerned with at that point.
0: One other thing that I noticed it you made note of, I saw it as well. We get an Arby sign in this, which callback to Bill in the last episode mentioning how he doesn't want everybody to come to his house like it's an Arby's.
1: Is uh, is it a callback or is it SpawnCon? Is is the sponsored can product placement. <laughs> it can,
0: it can be both. It can be a spawn con callback. And it it made me laugh in the thinking about back to that episode. So Interesting kind of opening to this episode as a whole. Already seeing much more of a, like I said, open um, version of Joel and a very fun version of Ellie. All
1: right. I'm going to put you on the spot. Would you rather have Chef Boyardee or Arby's?
0: It would be Arby's. I'm uh, Probably. The other question I have, what type of wine do you pair with 20-year-old Chef Boyardee, and do you think Bill had a
1: recommendation for that? You know, I i I don't think Joel and Ellie are much of the wine pairing type. <laughs> I, I, I think it was sort of a, honestly, I thought it was a fun contrast of the fine cuisine of Bill and Frank versus Joel and Ellie. Like, they both agree, oh, this is this is some good shit, this 20-year-old ravioli from Chef Boyardee can. i like, this guy's good. I agree. Uh, so I, I thought that was fun. Ellie's comment
0: of when he says 20 year old Chef RD and she says, well, he was good. He was a good cook or he was good or yeah. whatever. However, the the line was made me laugh. Yeah, okay. they didn't bring. I don't think they brought any wine with them from uh, from Bill's collection. So maybe they aren't much uh, wine drinkers.
1: I feel like Joel's much more of like a a, a Coors Light or, or Bud Light kind of guy. Maybe, not, but, you know, like he, he's just a beer.
0: If he's feeling really fancy, it's a whiskey at best.
1: Yeah. Yeah, probably whiskey guy. All right, anything on this uh, segment before we get to part two, which is a little bit more distressing?
0: Yeah, I was going to say, let's let's dive into the emotions now.
1: Part two, Brian with a Y. Back on the road, Ellie asks Joel about Tommy and why they aren't together anymore. Joel tries to shut it down by saying it's a long story, but Ellie correctly points out, is it longer than 25 hours? Because that's what we got. And it leads us to perhaps the biggest exposition dump in The Last of Us lore history, and I'm not complaining about it. (laughs) Joel says Tommy always dreamed of becoming a hero and that he joined the army when he was 18, only to get shipped off to the Gulf War in Desert Storm. And that did not make him feel like much of a hero. After Outbreak Day slash after Sarah's death, Tommy convinced Joel to join up with a group making its way up to Boston. And Joel agreed to keep an eye on Tommy. And that's where they met Tess. We learn more about that group later. Tommy then met Marlene, leader of the Fireflies that we met in the first episode, and she talked him into joining the Fireflies. And Tommy, the joiner, as Joel described him, uh, joined up again. Same mistake he made when he was 18, Joel says. Wants to save the world, Joel says, with disgust in his voice. Pipe dream, delusional. Tommy then quit the Fireflies, so far as Joel knows he's on his own now and needs his help. Ellie calls Joel out for his cynicism. If you don't think there's hope for the world, why bother going on? To Ellie, even if the world may already be lost, you gotta try, right? You haven't seen the world, so you don't know. You keep going for family, that's about it. Joel claims that Ellie is not family, but rather just cargo. But he will honor Tessa's dying wish because she was like family. Joel and Ellie make it to the home of the chiefs. Kansas City, specifically downtown Kansas City, Missouri, but the highway is blocked off by a semi. They try to take a detour to cut through downtown and get back on the highway on the other side, but they are ambushed by hunters. A man pretends to be injured, asking for help, but Joel knows better. Still, despite their attempts to not get caught and ambushed, their tires get punctured by a trap and Joel crashes the car into a laundromat. Cornered and taking fire, Joel commands Ellie to crawl through a small hole in the wall and stay there until he tells her it's safe. Once she's through and can no longer see him, that's when Joel begins killing the ambushers. After killing two of them, Joel gets surprised by a third that flanks him, who pens Joel down and begins choking the life out of him with his rifle. Ellie emerges from the wall and shoots the flanker with Frank's gun, saving Joel's life. Ellie is immediately, visibly shaken by having to do this. We learn that the flanker's name is Brian. Subtitles reveal it is with a Y. Don't know why we needed to know that, but it's with the Y. <laughs> Who is young, probably in his 20s, and begins pleading for his life. He's scared. He seems to be paralyzed by the gunshot. His legs aren't working, which makes him even more scared. He asks Joel and Ellie to get him to his mom, who isn't that far from here. He'll tell everyone that they're cool, that they could trade, they could even be friends. I'm, I'm Brian. What's your name? He pleads to Ellie. And Brian even offers up his favorite knife as a peace offering. But it's all for naught. Because not just Joel, but Ellie too, both know what needs to happen. And Joel sends Ellie back behind the wall. Ellie hears Joel killing Brian with his own knife as he screams for his mother. Ellie quickly wipes her tears away. This uh, this
0: exposition dump is not something that we get in the game at all. <laughs> it was the the extent of the car scene is what we discussed. She tosses the <clears throat> magazine out the uh, window, jumps into the front seat, says, "I'm not tired," and falls asleep. And boom, we're in Pittsburgh there is a lot more that we get in that whole conversation between Joel and Ellie that was not there again, Ellie and her, her personality shining through. Is it longer than 25 hours? Because I think that's what we got is, uh, exactly what you would expect from Ellie. And it, it, I was glad that we got this level of exposition and, uh, Because it provided us a lot of information that
1: people like you and me would love to find out. So we knew some of it uh, and definitely we could infer a lot of it for sure. But this did a much better job of connecting the pieces that we knew uh, in a way that I think you and I both really appreciate. So, for example, uh, we know that 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 tommy and joel somehow made their way up to boston but we don't quite know we know at some point joel met Tess, but didn't quite know where didn't realize that they were in the same group that made their way up to boston that's interesting we learned some further implications about what they had to do when they're in that group which Mm -hmm. we knew a little bit of and we knew a little bit about uh, about tommy's reaction to that which we're not really going to get into because we're probably going to have to dive more deep on that later but It did a really good job of connecting a lot of the tissues. I want to talk a little bit about Tommy getting this military background, which I think makes a lot of sense for that character. um, Because that is something we know that he joined up with the Fireflies because Marlene promised him hope. And Joel says, but just like Tommy, he eventually quit that too. So I think this tracks with, especially how Joel views Tommy, that he made this same recurring mistake of being foolish, idealistic, Wanting to save the world, you idiot. There's no way you can do that. Blah, blah, blah. Um, also, I, I, I was wondering this as well in the intro. A lot of people were saying that, oh, Joel's a combat veteran because they had that bumper sticker on the truck. But it was actually Tommy that was driving the truck in the Austin Prologue. So I was wondering if it was actually Tommy. And also Tommy's the one with the rifle uh, as well. Joel doesn't seem to have a gun uh, in the in the Austin Prologue where he did in the game. He had, he had his own uh, revolver, I think. But that's definitely new. I think it makes total sense with what we knew from his character from the game, and I think that's a a good little addition. Um, adds another example of codependency between the Millers and and Austin. Of Tom, Tommy's the one with the truck. He's got the wheels. He can drive him around. So just another example of all those all those things we went over before. But I really like this additional backstory we got on Tommy.
0: The connection to Tess is very interesting for a number of reasons. First, him saying. I made a promise to Tess and she was like family. Uh, <laughs> it it, mean, it means a lot of things because for one, it means he did feel something for her, but ultimately she was like family. Again, we referencing to what Tess said, I never asked you to feel how I felt. He, I, I think he clearly doesn't in this, but it, it it's a, an interesting peek at, how Joel viewed Tess, even if it was just like family, getting to that point with Joel in a post-apocalyptic world is no is notable.
1: Yeah, and we also one thing I, I think we forgot to mention last time is Joel has has in the in the Bill and Frank flashback on episode three, Joel has difficulty putting any sort of label on Tess. He's like, if my, if mine brought strangers into our situation he doesn't use a word there he just stops himself and cuts himself off and once again we don't really know how joel viewed that but she he just says she's like family we don't really know what that means other than obviously he cared about her to some extent but also i found it very interesting that joel very quickly breaks his number one rule he laid out <laughs> at the end of the episode which is don't bring up tess ever and we're going to keep our histories to ourselves. So this goes back to what you were talking about of Joel being more willing to open up. Uh, man, you you broke the number one rule. Come on, Joel.
0: Yeah, and they're trying to think how far they would even be out of Boston before he just completely goes back on two of his three rules. So it, it it's a it was an interesting scene. I, I also thought it was back to the, to talking about Tommy this feeling he has that he has to go save Tommy and, and really there's some narcissism to it that he has to always have someone to save. I know Craig Mazin and Neil Druckmann talked about that in the official podcast that this protector role, we kind of look at it in regards to Ellie, obviously because that's what is being put in front of us. But this is before even Ellie was around. He, He had this role, you could see it with Sarah, the brief time they were together, but you see it more, I think with Tommy in this section where he, Tommy is across the damn country and Joel was just in a snap of a finger was, all right, I got to go get him. I got to go save him. And the, the kind of attitude he has to it is like, ah, well, I have to go save Tommy yet again. And go across the country yet again to save him. It's a it's the protector role that he has, but um, it has uh, maybe some positives and some negatives to it and how he feels the need to be this type of person to seems like pretty much everybody in his life.
1: It's a perfectly normal reaction. I do the same thing when you don't respond to my Last of Us 3 a.m. texts uh, <laughs> within like an hour is I just get in the car and I start driving up uh, to Indiana right away. So uh, and as we
0: learned that's that's not a, a far drive as this episode shows us.
1: Yeah, obviously just one one take of gas. I don't have to go out and siphon it myself. I can stop <laughs> at a fuel stop anywhere along the way, but yeah, you're completely correct, Joel jumped at the chance to go protect Tommy because he's just he's waiting to fill that protector role for his family once more. He can't help it. Like this is who he is and it's what he values and that's just the role that he is comfortable in so as soon as tommy stops returning his radio messages he's like oh that's it he's in trouble i gotta go this is the moment and and immediately uh initiates setting out to go find him i would i I was interested that tess was clearly very on board at that point she's like yeah okay all right we're gonna go find tommy i I don't know if it's because she knew that Joel wouldn't be able to be talked down from it, or if she agreed with Joel's assessment that Tommy was in trouble or, or what, but uh, continue to be interested from that choice. We talked about a lot about it in the first episode recap. Uh, This motivation for going out to find Tommy is different than in the game. And this is obviously a, a big change because in the game, we get the sense that Tommy and Joel have been, estranged for quite a long time, uh and we'll probably talk more about that in a later date, but it, it's 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 not quite this it, Joel almost comes off as just like needy uh i, I oh he he's not talking to me, i need to go I need to go find him right now uh there's there's really none of that he's just like okay well, Tommy probably knows where the fireflies are I guess we gotta go find Tommy, which is obviously very different and it continues to be a very interesting choice which I think we can see that Joel's view on it seems to be a little warped, but in an interesting way.
0: Yeah. In the game, it's Tommy being in Wyoming is more convenience than anything. And him being in the, in the show. And we mentioned this when in that first episode, the the storylines and the motivations were different. Joel was not jumping to go across the country to go get to Tommy as quick as he could in the game. I've mentioned it. I alluded to it. Another practical question I have in this is traveling in this, uh, uh post-apocalyptic world. So this is going to be my one kind of nitpicking thing. They're looking at a map and conservatively they are somewhere close to Columbus, Ohio based on the direction she has. I'm familiar with this area of the Midwest. I think they're probably somewhere closer to Pittsburgh, but regardless, they are not close to Kansas city. And she mentioned 70, which is you get on there in Columbus and then you do drive 70 all the way to, to Kansas city conservatively, it's like nine hours from when Ellie falls asleep to when she wakes up uh, in downtown Kansas City. I do have some questions about uh, what happened there. It does look like a lot of time has passed uh, from when they were first in the car and when Ellie wakes up. Did she just decide to sleep nine hours? I mean, I know a lot of preteens and teenagers do that. I don't know that sleeping nine hours in a car is probably the most comfortable thing, but I had some questions on that one. Although in general, like, what even is traveling in a post-apocalyptic world like? You don't have to worry about traffic or anything like that, but you have to stop for gas, like once an hour so is it i even think faster? i think you're i think
1: you're reading into the funny cut too much of, of this no story. i am because 100%. even if we even if we take it at face value they have to stop every hour anyway for gas right so yes. that you know plus what well, were you one of the people that got mad when littlefinger was popping up every which every every uh between different scenes in game of thrones
0: no he was just fast traveling from place yeah exactly exactly
1: yeah. That's, that's what they're doing they're fast traveling it's a, yeah. This is a video game adaptation, Jacob. Get with it. I mean,
0: I who am I to complain? Because they end up from, we mentioned this, Pittsburgh to Wyoming in one cut in the game. So this is at least a little bit more believable. It was also ironic, funny, whatever you want to call it, that it was a Sara Lee bread truck that stops them from getting under the bridge and to the other side of the interstate or the highway because flower is just ruining everything in this uh, post-apocalyptic world. But that does bring us to the fight scene, which again, not necessarily shot for shot, but very similar to how it plays out in the game. Joel and Ellie do stumble across a, uh, a man feigning injury in the middle of the road. Joel is very much aware of what he is doing Tells her to buckle up. They floor it. It's a little bit different after that because they do crash and Joel fights off a half dozen of them and uh, gets the two of them out of there. What I thought was interesting, and it's something that you mentioned previously when they were fighting the zombies, the clickers in the museum, the stakes are raised quite a bit in this show versus the game because in the game like I mentioned Joel just runs through everybody especially in this scene. He takes out his person, he goes and saves Ellie as she's being attacked, and then he takes out another wave and in the game obviously it's a lot different because in the show Joel loses a three V one basically. He kills the first two people and dies to Brian with a Y. And well he w- would have died uh okay. i was going to say he,
1: this is the one thing about it not being a faithful adaptation is Joel's died at least like five times by this point
0: in the story. <laughs> yeah. yeah come on he uh i don't know where the last save was probably before they buckled up and floored it in through that uh that trap but he would have died i should say to if not for Ellie and then you think back to to Tess in the museum that was two clickers versus two people and she gets bit. And so they very much raised the stakes in this world to make it feel far more realistic that Joel is. Well, I mean, just... they had they had to yeah. if
1: you if you would have shown Joel just like mowing through 20 dudes and, and 10 infected each episode, nothing would have felt like a real threat. And as Mazin Druckman talk a lot about there, there wouldn't be a consequence to the violence. And uh, oh, boy, did they do a good job of portraying the the consequences of violence in the scene um, because uh, Brian. Oh uh, boy. I feel like like we got We got to talk about this guy.
0: Yeah. I I will say one more thing. This did still have kind of a video game feel to it. This fight, because specific to last of us, the enemies will just kind of yell insults at you. So one of them yelling, you motherfucker. Motherfucker. Yeah. It felt like it was literally just ripped from the game. Uh, when the person gets shot and killed, someone racing over to check on him and then running away. Uh, and then kind of after this whole scene, when they get to Brian and the oh, body body, they got fucking Brian. It, 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 uh, all that felt like NPC lines from the game, but Brian boy, <laughs> that was, uh, that was quite the scene. There were some differences mainly in that, uh, When Ellie shoots the enemy in the game, it is one shot right to the head. He's dead. Brian is not (laughs) killed right away in this scene. He's shot in the kind of back or butt. And there is then a lot of humanizing of the enemy (laughs) that follows with him asking for them to stop and telling them that he'll he'll help them out and then eventually he the the part that was the hardest i think for me is as Joel is killing him just screaming out for his mom was just holy cow what a scene what i mean what are your thoughts on on this kind of humanizing they're doing to the enemies
1: so obviously they're running on the last of us 2 engine because yes. this is something they add they actually added to Last of Us 2. Is like you go in and you stealth and you, you kill someone and then they go be like oh, oh fuck they got Brian like they gave names to all these NPCs that you were murdering. Uh but t- it, obviously this is a, a little bit different. So this is obviously a young guy. Seems mm-hmm. like he's in his twenties. He is scared. He is paralyzed, it seems, by what uh Ellie did. And I think it shows that I, I don't think Joel and Ellie are doing anything wrong here. Obviously, they were the ones that got ambushed. Mm-hmm. Brian was going to kill Joel. He probably would have killed Ellie, too, even though she's a kid. I think you have to assume that they're not making exceptions for kids if they have this whole ambush mission set up. But it still has a cost. It still has a consequence. You have to live with that. That, And you have to live with the fact that you did that. This, there was this scared... 20 something kid who was who was begging for his mom and begging for his life and says no no no, no. we we could be friends we can trade here have here have this nice knife and all these things i, I think it was a really interesting and, and good choice by the writers to paint that cost and and very clearly we can see the cost immediately on ellie's face which thank god we're it doesn't seem like we're going with the Ellie is actually a psychopath route that I don't think we thought they were going down. But it's it's good to obviously see that she, more than what, what was happening was she wants to be able to be this person that can be competent and deal with these situations and kill if she needs to to survive. But it's hard. And we see that on her face. And we see that with obviously the scenes that play out afterwards. But morality vibe check, Jacob. A new segment. How do we feel about what they did to dear little Brian? <laughs> the stabbing him
0: versus shooting him was also a startling difference um because when they when Ellie goes back to the other room and she's crying, I'm expecting a gunshot. We don't get a gunshot. Joel, as we find out, stabs him straight through the heart, which kills him all the same uh but There is something a lot more personal about that than um, shooting him. (laughs) Joel's been on both sides of this, as we said, and uh, he's been through. He's done a lot of questionable things throughout his life, and this might be the biggest peak behind the curtain
1: in that regard yet. Well, he he knows what to do, right? Yeah. You're not going to waste any ammo on that, especially if there's other people nearby. Brian's mom. Might be listening around the corner, it sounds like. You don't want to alert Brian's mom. Uh, but, yeah, if, if you can save... It's one of the things that is definitely an aspect of the gameplay. Is the scarcity of resources and the scarcity of ammo in this world. You would, you would not waste a bullet on that. But you're absolutely right. I think everyone in the audience is expecting to hear that gunshot. And said we hear the into his chest, which... As soon as they did it, I was like, "Oh yeah, of course, obviously, don't waste ammo."
0: Mm-hmm. It was interesting seeing Ellie's reaction again. As you said, we had some questions about the the face she made in the the uh, pilot at the end, and the fascination she she seemed to have. I I almost wonder now, having seen this, if that had more to do with having somebody to that wants to protect her and Joel, and we can we can kind of discuss that at some point, but because it's very clear that Ellie is not a psychopath and that there are a lot of feelings she's, uh, uh, feeling in this moment. And it was, um, I I think that's different from the game as well. She certainly doesn't cry in the game. Uh, she is a little colder probably is the best way to describe it in the game. um, She she shoots a guy in the head and definitely doesn't react like this in the game. So humanizing Ellie a little bit more as well and showing some emotion to her that wasn't in
1: game Ellie either. I feel like we should also talk about this actually happens later, but since we're on the subject of of what they did to Brian and what they did with the ambush, we get a line that was from the game, which was Ellie later asked Joel, how did you know about the ambush? And he just says, I've been on both sides. And she asks, so do you kill innocent people in the game? Uh, and again, this is something that's interesting about the last of us as a video game. is This this moment is happening in, in gameplay as you're like walking up some stairs and going to loot uh, where these assholes were, were sleeping that ambushed you. And he just says, like, she asked, so do you kill a lot of innocent people? And he just goes, ah. and she's like, I'll take that as a yes. And Joel yeah. says. Take it however you want. But again, with the difference of the medium, what you can instead do, which I think is way more effective, is just have Pedro Pascal turn towards Ellie and give this haunted, guilty, depressed look yep. that tells us everything we need to know. And it was almost as if, like, don't don't make me say it. And... Yeah, it's it's something that Troy Baker is, is often said is like one of his favorite lines from the game because it just it says so much with with without saying too much.
0: Yeah, and the, it, the look he gives is equivalent to just kind of the sigh that Joel has. He didn't need to say words to portray kind of his emotion and how he feels about what he did. Uh, maybe not proud of it, but. And especially in this moment where he's having to explain it to Ellie, what he did. But as he kind of said, we did what we had to do to get by basically. And, or at least what he felt they had to do to get by. And so it, it shows a little bit of, of who Joel was. And when Tess says that we're shitty people, these are kind of the moment she's referencing is things like this, Tom, there was a lot of Kansas city in this, uh, especially in this section. So I'm sure you have a lot you want to dive into on that. So fire away, bud.
1: Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go through some of it pretty quickly. So again, the, the biggest reason they made this change to Pittsburgh from Kansas city was simply just because of where they're shooting in Calgary and Edmonton. It was, it was a lot, easier to make it look like Kansas city than it would have been to make it look like Pittsburgh. And mm-hmm. I, as someone that's lived in Kansas city in the Kansas city area, my whole life, I was struck by how Kansas city it looked that the, uh, the, the underpass of the highway that they, that they have to stop at because the semi is, it, it looks identical to the real one. I, I had an apartment that was like right by where that is if if they would have turned to the right you'd be like oh look there's my apartment building right there uh so that was really cool uh they had some great shots of the kansas city skyline that obviously i i had heard they'd done some filming in kansas city but i think it was just like getting shots of the skyline and then putting them in and post i don't think pedro and bella were ever shooting in kansas city or anything like that uh i-70 they mentioned how long they have to stay on it they're like i-70 west for like ever which, if you've traveled through the heart of the country, you know that that is exactly true. If I have to get to St. Louis from Kansas City, I go east on I seventy. If I have to get to Colorado, I go west on I seventy. It just cuts through so much of uh, the entire country. Um, I I I got a question from my brother on a mailbag question, and he said, "Who do you think lasted longer after the outbreak from the two thousand three Chiefs, Dante X Factor Hall or Priest Holmes?" Behind that great offensive line, and I got to say I, I got to give it to Dante Hall, especially on Outbreak Day. I think the more valuable trait is being elusive and fast. And I don't think as, as great of blockers as Willie Rofe and Will Shields were. Uh, I, I I think one bite and, and they're they're probably going to be done within a day. So I got to give it to Dante. Maybe he's still out there uh, in uh, in in this uh, in this world. Maybe we'll see him later. We'll we'll find out. Uh, I gotta know, did Kansas City barbecue survive the apocalypse? Uh, I, I, is someone is it was Brian the chef making the burn ends? Is that why everyone is so distressed about Brian being killed? Uh, I need to know. I love the little shots of it was it looked like Main Street in downtown Kansas City, and you see the movie theater, and you see Underworld and Matchstick Men, uh, 2003 movies that would have just come out. Uh, I also wanted to give a shout out to one of the funniest Last of Us tweets I've seen, which was from Edward Stockwell, which said, "The outbreak in The Last of Us happened right before the theatrical release of Return of the King." Fucking bleak, man. Imagine not seeing Theoden charge on the fields of Pelennor. Which, as a Last, as a as a Lord of the Rings nerd, uh, I, I I enjoyed quite a bit. Um, but yeah, in, any anything we want to go over before we get to part three? Yeah, it was a
0: this episode as a whole, and I think this section is a fun mixture of taking a lot of things that were straight from the game and putting them into this world while also adding elements of the TV show and the storytelling they're doing here uh, into those stories as well. So it's a really interesting episode in that regard.
1: Sorry, I forgot. I have to tell a very quick story. Related to Dante Hall because, uh, and and this is not a sports podcast. You'll just have to indulge me for ninety seconds. But this was during the stretch where Dante Hall was having like a, a big consecutive return touchdown streak. Outbreak day happened two days before he had a ninety-seven game-winning return against the Ravens, and nine days later, I was supposed to go to the Chiefs versus Broncos game, uh, and I had, I was recovering from pink eye at the time. Uh, And I had these prescription eye drops and I was like 12 years old and my mom was like putting the eye drops in my eye and it burned like hell. And I immediately collapsed to the ground only to find out that what she accidentally put in my eye was my dad's eardrops, uh, which are not supposed to go into eyeballs. That delayed us. I was very worried that I was going to miss a Dante Hall return for a touchdown, but I didn't because he returned it in the fourth quarter to win the game. An incredible touchdown against the Broncos Uh, So I was able to see that with my stinging, painful eyes. Thanks, mom, if you're listening. Uh, But how are you not blind? (laughs) (laughs) I I, I think it just it just made it worse. So I I went from having pink eye to red eye for a little bit. Uh, But 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 then it was fine. Uh, Okay, so we get on to part three and we meet Kathleen, a new character, not in the game played by Melanie Linsky, a leader of a Kansas City resistance group that violently and successfully overthrew Fedra. Fuck yeah. Rise up, Kansas City. Uh, And she is interrogating a man named Edelstein. We learned from the subtitles who used to be her doctor is actually the one that delivered her as a baby. She's attempting to locate various individuals that may have collaborated with Fedra, including one Henry Burrell. Kathleen is convinced that the doctor knows where Henry is, We learn that Kathleen had a brother who was brutally beaten to death by Fedra in these cells. And we're we're led to believe that Henry was the one that informed on her brother. She blames Henry and she's out for revenge out in the street. We meet Kathleen's right hand man, Perry played by our guy, Jeffrey Pierce, AKA Tommy from the video game. That guy with the slick back gray hair and the big gray beard who has that beautiful Tommy sound an accent, which again we remarked about how much Gabriel Luna sounded like Jeffrey Pierce in the original. Uh, uh something tells me Perry, Perry's not going to make it all the all the way to to Wyoming. Uh, <laughs> but that would be would have been funny to see those two characters interact. Perry has a military background. He reports to Kathleen regarding the found bodies of Brian and the other ambushers. He says based on the heavily supplied trucks, or excuse me, based on the heavily supplied truck, that it's most likely outsiders that did this. He's correct. He says, maybe it's mercenaries. Kathleen immediately and baselessly connects these deaths to Henry and makes clear that any collaborators must be found and killed. One man that was shot by Joel is in critical condition. Kathleen asks if she, if he could live with help of a doctor, but she's told that there's no chance. So she returns to the cell to execute the doctor via gunshot, and Casey mobilizes to begin searching the city to find Henry. Joel and Ellie are biding time as they watch the search party mobilize. They attempt to awkwardly comfort each other, both saying that they're all right. Joel apologizes to Ellie. He blames himself for needing Ellie's help with the violence. He did not hear Brian coming. The idea of a kid needing to shoot someone is clearly upsetting to Joel, and it makes him as emotional as we've seen him since outbreak day. He's devastated for thinking that his sloppiness is maybe what made a kid lose their innocence. But Ellie interestingly reveals that it was not her first time. For now that's all we know. After hearing she's done this before, Joel returns Frank's gun to Ellie and teaches her how to properly and securely grip the gun with both hands not like how Fedra taught her. Fedra, what are we doing in these classes? What? Oh, my God. Kathleen and Perry find an attic with empty food cans and a child's drawings of superheroes. Kathleen knows that Henry and Sam must be close and says that Henry wouldn't let Sam starve. In the basement of the building, however, they see something move the concrete floor and leave. They seem to know what this is, and Perry thinks they should definitely warn the others. But Kathleen says not yet. Her vengeance is overruling her common sense. At night, Joel and Ellie enter a tall building with the plan of getting a good view of the city in the morning and form a plan from there. Uh, on the way up, as, as I mentioned, Ellie asked Joel how he knew about the ambush. I've been on both sides. His old group he was in with Tommy and Tess had done similar operations, it seems. She asked him if he killed innocent people, and Joel can only stare at her in response as if to say, don't make me say it. Joel and Ellie make it 33 floors up and camp for the night, Joel covers the floor with glass so he would hear anyone sneaking up on them. Ellie isn't so sure Joel would actually hear it, later observing that she's noticed Joel is pretty deaf in his right ear. Joel thinks it's primarily from shooting. Joel tries to ask Ellie about the first time being violent that she alluded to before, but she does not want to talk about it. Joel laments how unfair it is that Ellie has to deal with all of this at her age. So it gets easier when you're older? Ellie asks. No, not really. As they're going to sleep, Ellie asks Joel if he knows that diarrhea is hereditary. What? Yeah. It runs in your genes. And Joel laughs. He tries not to. uh, And he limits how stupid the joke is. But he laughs. And then they're both laughing. I'm losing it, Joel says. You're losing it big time, Ellie says. Joel goes on to sleep on his right side and on his right ear, but he wakes up on his left, not hearing that someone had snuck up on them in the night. A man has a gun on Ellie and a young boy with a superhero mask painted on has a gun on Joel. For the uninitiated, say hello to Henry and Sam. I want
0: to start at the end of that uh, with Joel and Ellie and the bonding that they continue to do. Uh, you mentioned at the beginning of the episode that the seeing these two kind of grow closer is why you like this so much. This is kind of the, the culmination, obviously, the end of that. But this is um, as kind of deep a conversation as, as they have, Joel asking Ellie some questions and clearly questions that she isn't necessarily ready to to answer. He asked about the first time she hurt someone and she pretty quickly says, I don't want to talk about it. It, it shows Joel's willingness to kind of learn more about Ellie, which again, wasn't there at this point in the game, but also shows that there's still some, some parts of them that they're not ready to show one another. But ultimately, I think it's interesting, just the sympathy that Joel shows Ellie in this, uh, both this conversation and the the kind of the more awkward one they had trying to console one another. This level of um, kind of guilt that Joel has that something he did led to her having to kill somebody or shoot somebody, not kill them necessarily. That level of guilt is not there. And not in the game, at least. And so it, it's a interesting look at who Joel is in the game or in the show versus who he is in the game. I like it. Uh, it it's certainly going, to, I think, to drive home this emotional connection that they're going to have throughout the rest of this season. Um, it, it'll drive it home more. It, it's just a really interesting change that they've made this early in the season.
1: I love the moment of getting Joel to laugh. I yes. thought that was such a smart, simple way to show that the dynamic is changing and the Joel uh, very specifically is changing and that Ellie is uh, opening up his heart and, and awakening some aspects that he'd buried deep that he, he try he tries so hard not to laugh and he just can't help it. And great scene. This is not in the game. Uh, I thought they did. It's it's just a, a great small moment, but it's a big moment. And it's it's just another detail of, of uh, a really good example of their dynamic. Now, Joel Joel is obviously very inarticulate. He doesn't know how to express his feelings. But like we said, he's making more of an effort in the show. And they're both beginning to trust each other, but not fully. Obviously, Joel's not ready to talk about Sarah. Ellie's not ready to talk about whatever happened in her past, we have some ideas we might talk about in the spoiler section. Um, But again, it's obviously they took huge strides in this episode in terms of their relationship.
0: We obviously have to talk about Kathleen Perry, new characters that we don't know anything about in the game. They are there are people in this city in Pittsburgh but they don't really have a story. We know that they're a very violent group, but that's about the extent of the story we get. And uh, I believe it was Neil Druckmann mentioned in the uh, either in the podcast or after the show that you can kind of humanize these people so they are more than just an obstacle in the game. And we get some details. It definitely set up some stuff and obviously I think next week or on Friday I guess um, we're going to learn a lot more about this group and and whatnot but we learn about Kathleen clearly being the leader of this group Perry being the probably her right hand man it certainly seems like and two very interesting characters to introduce and two people who clearly have a lot of power over a group of um uprisers, I guess, or, or however you want to call it, that overthrew Fedra. So clearly, a, a a talented group, a skilled group, and a large group. K- KC,
1: baby, be- we got the job done. Let's go. Yeah. We've overthrown a tyrannical government. Just l- let's not pay any attention to, uh <laughs> you know, the atrocities that have replaced it. No, I, ju- I just want to. uh So it's it's obviously very interesting. Kathleen is clearly calling the shots, and mm-hmm. we don't we haven't quite seen why that is. Uh, I get the sense that we're going to get a better idea in the next episode. Perry. I thought, I, I thought Jeffrey Pierce was uh, really great in the limited role that he had. Uh, you could he did so much with, with just very short little lines, just like a little, like the the head motion he does when he realizes that Kathleen does not want to tell people about, what they found in the basement uh is just like what it, 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 he he did so much with with so little, but he's still seemingly like knowing what he feels is his place and not overruling that he's still sticking with what she's saying objectively killing the doctor in the apocalypse I'll say it dumb move even yeah. if even if you're angry even if you're vengeful even if you like Like they obviously seem not opposed to keeping people as prisoners. You're you're not going to keep that. Isn't that a valuable prisoner? I would think Uh, having a doctor around. I just want to say I didn't vote for. Okay. Um, (laughs) When when they gathered up in the town hall and we were trying to find who should uh, who should lead this, I voted for Perry. I I thought he was he seemed like a guy that could get stuff done. I had some concerns about her character. Okay.
0: (laughs) Valid concerns. We also get some backstory on Henry, which we're going to have more blanks filled in on Friday uh, with that episode. But certainly paints Henry as a villain and uh, definitely from pinning Brian's death on Henry in any way possible. uh, Kathleen kind of uses that as a breaking point, makes her look like a badass right away. But as you said, shooting the doctor. Maybe not the smartest decision,
1: but questionable, uh, questionable at best.
0: Yeah. So it, it's certainly raising some interesting questions that, um, again, we, we don't know all the answers to uh, another question that I kind of have from all this is why is she the leader? Because she clearly is a voice that everyone is looking at and Jeffrey Pierce among them, but, uh, or Perry or, or whatnot, but, she doesn't necessarily look like the leader type. And so uh it's going to it's that was one of the mo- more interesting questions I have is just what led to this dynamic where she is able to point at this person and say, Henry did this. We have to find him and kill everyone along the way.
1: Sure. I'm We're, be- we're being very careful. We don't want to give anything away regarding Henry and Sam, but we're excited to see them show up and we're interested to see the next episode.
0: This is, um, like I said, it's giving a, some story to a level in the game that was basically just random people. So there, there's a lot of this. We also don't know the answer to as well, as we said. And so it's going to be fascinating to see how they apply some of the stuff we do know with the stuff that we don't know. And, um, They've done a great job so far. So excited to see that. Uh, an, another scene that I thought was interesting and in how different it was, was Joel and Ellie comforting one another or consoling or trying whatever it is you want to call it. It was it was awkward at best, but um, it was very different than what happened in the game after Ellie shoots someone to save Joel a similar scene happens where Joel is being drowned in a puddle almost, but he's losing a battle. He can't reach a gun. Ellie grabs it and shoots the enemy. And the expression Joel has in the game is anger. He's angry that she grabbed the gun and she had a gun and, um, she doesn't thank him. Uh, he, he basically says, I'm glad you didn't blow my head off. And so eventually the most we get is that he kind of reluctantly admits it was either him or me. And that's about the extent of it, which is far different than what we got from Joel in the show.
1: Yeah. I was just also going to say, effectively they combined two scenes here where the ambush happens and they, they escape. And then we learn about Joel knowing things on both sides. And then later is the incident where Ellie has to, to save Joel with a gun. but. They combine that. I think that was smart. That didn't need to be two different scenes. It, it could have been one. Um, but yeah, game. Joel is just like, "Why didn't you hang back like I told you?" And takes the gun from her before eventually realizing he needs her help. Um, and and like you said, it, it was either him or me it was the closest Joel could get to saying, "I'm sorry." And as as he drops down, Elle's just like, "You're welcome," because she she knows that that was that was him trying to apologize, but he doesn't know how to say it.
0: Yeah. So and that might be the just kind of comparing the the two scenes probably kind of the one scene that you can see the biggest difference in Joel in the game versus Joel in the show is that in the show he is very much upset that again his mistake led to this and he's sympathizing with her and yeah in the game there's no sympathy there's no he might be upset that his mistake led to it but he is not letting her know that even in the slightest so it, it's a very different approach i did like the um, kind of childhood innocence, I guess, when Joel is teaching her how to hold a gun and the giggle she has when he tries to knock it away and uh, she realizes she kind of learned something new. As you said, we might need a running curriculum of what Fedra is teaching these kids in school because it is bad.
1: They are quickly establishing themselves as the most incompetent people in the Last of Us universe, specifically the people that are in charge of teaching these orphans. Okay, these are, they are a resource. You can train them up to be good soldiers that can do a lot of stuff for you, and they're not teaching them anything other than where is Detroit. That's the only thing that we know <laughs> that she taught. they taught Ellie effectively. Doesn't know how to hold a gun. Doesn't know how to swim. Doesn't know anything about cars. Doesn't know how to siphon fuel uh doesn't gosh uh, doesn't fedra- know how to read
0: a map well she can kind of read a map it's uh it's not great so i'm not even sure how they really taught her where detroit is um i i was at the beginning of this episode i thought about criticizing fedra for not teaching how to siphon gas but i was like oh that's probably a little picky like I I wanted to make it a running bit, but no, they did it for me, like much later in the episode.
1: Learning how to siphon gas, I think, comes after learning what a seatbelt is in the the (laughs) curriculum. At least I would would think, but they didn't even get that far, so uh, I don't know. But one dynamic that's interesting is, and they talked about this in the official podcast, is this dynamic of this group that overthrew FEDRA, which was obviously this tyrannical military dictatorship. But oftentimes, there's a lot of examples of history of when something like that gets overthrown. Sometimes, what what comes next is even worse than what came before. Uh, and I think it's very interesting to show that and to to paint it as these very real people that are suffering. And obviously, Kathleen is 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 feeling very strong emotions about her brother. I guess, and we'll probably get more details about that next episode. Again, this is a new plot to us; we don't really know. But very interesting choice there, and. Uh, dynamic there. Hopefully, hopefully their schools are better. That's all I'll say.
0: <laughs> it's a low bar, like a very low bar, to be uh, better than Fedra schools. There's a there's just some general questions I had that don't even really need answers. Someone we again don't know the answers to. Why are Henry and Sam so important? We kind of get some allusions to it, but clearly they're turning over this entire town trying to find them. And then, what you referenced uh what is underneath the ground the that was uh terrifying, whatever it was that the the ground is clearly breaking, and I'm sure it's
1: fine it it's just that yeah, that's yeah, just Kansas City this time of year sometimes the it, concrete rumbles.
0: Can you confirm that that hole in the ground isn't there in real life
1: i I can neither confirm nor deny we
0: keep those things top secret, gotcha so. Uh, You may not know either. I'm not sure what is underneath the ground in this random Kansas city building. Um, Why aren't they telling people about it? Why is every, why is everyone so willing to listen to Kathleen about this? I think if you watch the maybe uh, next week, like preview, you might have an idea of what might be coming out of the ground, but um, it, it, we don't know how it got there. We don't know what's under it. it. It, just a lot of questions that we get about this town. And I would imagine next week is going to be heavily focused on this town and what led up to Joel and Ellie arriving there. Uh, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see the answers to a lot of these questions. The uh, one other detail, which you mentioned at the very end, Joel or Ellie tells Joel, he can't hear out of it. she, notices that he can't hear out of his right ear, which he then, it seems like intentionally goes to sleep on his right ear so that he can hear. But when he wakes up, he's laying on his left ear so that he can't hear, which is why Ellie had to yell at Joel a couple times for him to wake up. And it's also why he didn't hear all of that glass crunching that he was laying down uh, at the door as well.
1: And then also just one other Kansas City detail I want to note. So my mom watched the episode and she texted me. She's like, "Does Kansas City even have a building that has 42 floors?" Uh, and then we looked it up, and yeah, one Kansas City place, which is the tallest skyscraper in, in Kansas City, is 42 floors. But you see, there's a sign that shows they enter in B3, so they're entering in a basement level. And Joel says we're getting, we're going up 45 flights as much as we can. So again. Needlessly accurate to Kansas City. They don't need to do this. I don't know why Craig Mason's like okay. Got to get every little detail right. But it's it's it, it was it was really cool to uh, geek out over. I'm surprised we haven't seen any Chiefs signs or anything like that. 2003 Chiefs were pretty good. Uh, that offense, like we talked about, Dante Hall. So I bet I, I, I wonder if we see and if it, if it's truly accurate, we'll uh, we'll we'll see some some Chief signs or or some allusion to the Chiefs next episode. We'll see. How but, good were the uh, Royals? The Royals were were fighting to be – I think they finished exactly at 500 for the first time in a while gotcha. uh, that year. So they're currently struggling in September. They, they had a great start and then and <laughs> faded dramatically down the stretch. But a couple of miscellaneous things from the episode. Uh, we now have enough violence that I think we can start keeping a body count uh, for these characters. We're not counting infected. Just actual humans that are killed. Joel is at four which is Lee and three of the hunters and ambushers, including dear sweet Brian Ellie. I'm going to give her 0.5. She gets, she gets, she gets half a body for Brian. Um, Joel finished the job, obviously. So I'm going to give her, I'm going to give her a, a half sack on that one. Uh, and we don't see any, at least with our eyeballs infected in this episode, which I was told the show was about zombies. So I, I, how do you feel about Jacob? Are you outraged?
0: Uh, This will be the last episode we do a podcast on until we see zombies again. Uh, Exactly.
1: We we demand it. No, we're kidding.
0: This is not my one pet peeve, which I have avoided, is that this is not a zombie show. uh, As everyone who is listening and watching is finding out, this is a lot more than a zombie show. Let's hand out some awards.
1: Start off with uh, what your best video game moment was. So I think the best video gaming done there there were there are two there's two contenders. One is when jo- when Ellie had to move the stuff around the door, she held triangle really well at that point. And then later when they're getting into the building, they have to boost Ellie up and then and then she opens the door. I'm going to go with the second one just cuz that that happens a lot. It's a very important mechanic. You got to know how to hold that triangle button. If you don't, you're not going to get very far in The Last of Us. So if you're thinking about going to play the game, make sure you locate your triangle button on your controller. <laughs> And know that you're going to be pressing it a lot in moments like that. So, that that's, I think that's my award.
0: I, w- I wrote down the, the shooting, the, I wrote NPCs, but I guess the hunters in Kansas City because uh, they acted very much like NPCs with those voice they got lines. Brian! They yeah, got Brian. Yeah, fucking with, Brian. With those voice lines and yelling, you motherfucker, as Joel's in cover. Uh, all of that felt very natural to the game. The baby girl moment of the week, I think, I mean, for me, it's a runaway that it's the car scene. Uh, it was fantastic. I got so excited when they did it because I kind of worried that it got thrown to the side last week when
1: once they took off. But, boy, I was ecstatic seeing it this week. I am going to go in a different direction. And I think, honestly, I'm. this, this may surprise some people that as obviously were such huge fans of the source material. This one was maybe even like, a it was too line for line. I, I would have appreciated maybe like a couple slight differences uh, in it because it was just basically word for word. Um, I'm going to go with, and even though it's it's slightly different as we talked about, I'm going to go with the I've been on both sides moment that mm-hmm. happened in the stairwell. I thought they did that really well. I'm glad they brought that exchange over to the game, but then they gave it more weight. Which I thought they did that really so, well. So that's that's my baby girl for this week. Best change. I'm going to go. You could you could go a lot of different directions. Obviously, uh, I I want to see further how the stuff plays out with Kathleen and Perry before I give it to Kansas City. Obviously, the change I could give it to is making it Kansas City instead of Pittsburgh. <laughs> uh, eat your heart out, Pittsburgh. KC all the way. Uh, but I'm going to give it to what we already talked about, which was taking the pun book and making it into this really enriching, wholesome interaction with Joel and Ellie and the fact that Joel can't help but laugh. And then they're both laughing because she got Joel to laugh. I just thought it was a beautiful moment. It was probably my favorite moment of the episode, actually, I would say. Uh, so that, is my best change. The fact that they, they took the pun book, but then they, they found a way to make it really meaningful to Joel and Ellie loved it. I went, I wrote
0: down um, basically kind of the humanizing the villain such Brian part. That was heart wrenching. I didn't feel that way about any villain in uh, or any kind of random NPC in uh, the last of us one or two, as much as they yelled out random people's names I did not feel that way. And them uh, having him have, I mean, he was on screen for like 90 seconds and good Lord. I couldn't stop thinking about uh, just the reaction he had and the way he delivered those lines was.
1: Yeah. Shout out to that actor. I I, I apologize. I haven't looked it up ahead of time, but I thought he did great. That that's a tough ask to, uh, to be that vulnerable and scared, uh, and 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 to be sympathetic, uh, especially given what he just tried to do to our beloved main characters, which I, I think everyone is even that wasn't fans of the game are, are growing quickly attached to Joel and Ellie, which again this episode did a great job of uh enforcing. But that that's a tough ask in that scene. I thought the actor did a great job.
0: Uh I just saw it. It was Juan Magana. Uh I hope I'm pronouncing that last name right, but yeah, shout out to him as Brian, because in an instant you added, uh, you made me start thinking as to whether it was the right move to uh, kill him. Maybe you should just let him go back to, to see his mother, but uh, Joel is a little more cold hearted than I am. MVP of the week is an interesting one. Uh, I thought there'd been some clear favorites in previous episodes. I ended up going with Ellie, uh, her pun book. Her kind of breaking through in Joel and and kind of getting him to open up more and more Um, Bella Ramsey again we I feel like we say this every week but she is doing a phenomenal job as Ellie and uh, this might now this is probably her best episode yet and it was it was phenomenal.
1: Uh I'm going to give my MVP of the week to Patrick Mahomes uh who's going to win MVP and then he's also going to win Super Bowl MVP and uh also make me a lot of money doing it. Uh no. Uh I will go with God yeah again there's the show shows really good Jacob there there's a lot of uh contenders for MVP. Um I'm I'm going to go with the uh, Ellie the character. Uh she made Joel laugh. That's a huge W. Huge <laughs> massive W. Uh, Very difficult to do. High bar to clear. She got it done. It turned into that great moment. Shout out to you, Ellie. You did great.
0: Maybe Will Livingston should be the MVP for <laughs> creating the pun book because uh, it it was a fantastic work by him.
1: So one quick note on that, we we mentioned it, I think, at one point in the spoiler section of of what we're looking forward to is the pun book, but we want m- new new puns. I need more new puns. I think maybe the, I'm not sure if the algebra one was in the game. That's maybe the one I wasn't sure if I think everything else was. Also, I love the way that Bella delivered that line where she asked the question and then like leaned in like, uh, you ready for it? Before saying the line, but. Uh, I'm gonna need some some new puns. I think there will be some more opportunities for that, but I hope Craig Mazin is able to deliver on some brand new puns for Joel and Ellie to bond over.
0: The algebra one was in the show, so in the game, or yeah, in the game. Okay. I, I all of them were uh, at least this week straight from it. But as important as they made this, they might end up having to create some new puns. So I'm excited for it. Thank you, everyone, for, uh, for tuning in. This is your line in the sand. If you do not want uh, any more spoilers, um, we will, we're going to start talking about them here in just a minute.
1: And again, please be sure to leave us a five-star review. Thank you to the people that have done so already. Bump us up in that algorithm. We need it to get in front of more people's ear holes and spread. Uh, like The Fungus. Follow us on Twitter. We're starting to see a few people reach out to us on there. We know people. Uh, we're getting more and more listeners on the podcast, which is great. We're super excited about that. Um, send it to any friends you have that are Last of Us nerds like you may be, or someone that's enjoying the show. Uh, but we really appreciate all the support and all the listeners so far. Thank you so much. Follow us on Twitter. Send us emails. Send us your mailbag questions. We didn't get enough mail by questions this week, and we we love uh, interacting with you, so anytime you have questions, feel free to shoot them on over. So, We are exiting the quarantine zone. The quarantine zone is dismantled in Kansas city. uh, And we're going into full spoiler talk. So if you do not know the plot of the last of us slash, maybe the last was part two. I don't know if we're going to do much part two talk here, Uh, but either way, get out now and we'll see you next week. So Henry and Sam, Jacob, my number one question is still, is Sam too cute? That oh boy, and we've had this discussion based on
0: the uh previews we saw um that is a much younger he's so cute he's just a little guy. It's a much younger version of Sam that if their fate is the same that is going to be absolutely heartbreaking um I man, it was the seeing him and already how they're kind of portraying him. <laughs> I like that you wrote down any chance they live because I'm already like t- I asked, like, you, I asked you this earlier. Like, in the week for them,
1: yeah. So again, one thing we gotta consider: they did take Bill away from us, which again yeah. they gave him a happier ending, as we talked about at length last week. But and and again, full spoiler talk: what we are expecting to happen is that Sam will get bitten and turn into an infected, and. Henry will have to put him down as he's trying to get to Ellie. And then Henry is going to kill himself. That is dark. It is Very. going to be shocking. Um, it's going to be deeply upsetting to a lot of people, I'm sure. Yes. I think it's more upsetting to try and portray that in the show as opposed to what they did in the game. In the game, it was so shocking and upsetting. It was one of the most shocking and upsetting moments, probably the most shocking and upsetting moment from yep. the game. How are we feeling? I man, I don't
0: know if they. I'm sure they will handle it well if they do do it. But do cool, do. I don't. It that is going to be quite the moment because it was already tough seeing Sam, bit and turn when he was basically Ellie's age. I think maybe a little bit younger than Ellie, and not deaf. Yeah, this is a far more innocent version of Sam that it's going to make it that much tougher to see. And yeah, it's a very sensitive subject that they will have to kind of tread lightly on. I I have full faith that they will, but that was very heavy for a video game. And everything so far kind of in this TV show has kind of hit harder, predictably. I can't imagine something hitting harder than that. So I, there might be a decent chance that they live. And if they don't, that is going to be one of the uh, like heaviest scenes that we might've, wa- we might ever watch, especially in this show. As you said, it, it doesn't get kind of heavier than this one.
1: And may Okay. Devil's advocate slash trying, trying to let Henry and Sam live here. Uh, one, one thing they do, one purpose they serve during the game is it it shows how Joel and Ellie are prepared to deal with that loss very differently. Ellie wants to talk about it. Joel is just, things happen. We move on. We don't talk about it. But again, as we talked about in this episode, Joel's doing a better job of trying to comfort her, to reach out, to talk about these things. Even though he's inarticulate still and he doesn't quite know how to do that. Maybe if they're already communicating on that level, Henry and Sam don't need to die. Maybe I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure they're going to die. It's going to be sad, but just uh, just trying to speak it out into the universe, just in case, because l- Lord knows they've. The show is sad. Uh, maybe they'll take this instance to make it not quite as sad. And, and obviously, a big part of them being in the game and in the story, Joel and Ellie are starting to trust each other. And in the game, this whole section of introducing Henry and Sam is okay, well, now can you trust a stranger? Yeah. Uh, when these people show up and, th- and they have guns on you, are you better than the hunters and the ambushers? Are, would you just kill people that aren't, aren't posing you any direct threat, but they might in the future? Can can you trust them? Are, are you willing to go along with them? Can you work together to achieve a common goal? Those are all very interesting things and ideas they explore in the game, and they can still do that without having the same ending, perhaps. But again, I'm we're, we're, we're probably deluding ourselves. So they're probably going to die.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think there's a small chance that they live. I think their death has too important of a role kind of moving forward of how fragile or life can be in this post-apocalyptic world and how quickly things can change. I mean, she has lines kind of referencing, I mean, in that ranch scene, she says some, I can't remember the exact line right now, but I'm, are you afraid I'm going to end up like Sam or something like that? And, Mm-hmm. So, like stuff like that makes me think that they probably need to suffer the same fate. Unfortunately,
1: but uh, uh and sorry, I'm arguing with myself again. But I, 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 yeah, I know. Never mind. I, now, now, I think they do need to go the same way because Sam, Sam is probably the heaviest weight that Ellie carries, maybe equal with Riley of. Yeah. people that turn infected and then her, her guilt over not being able to be that cure and provide that. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: God, it's going to be sad
0: on the note of Riley there again, appears to be maybe some reference to her in this, um, my theory is that the person that she had to hurt before was Riley. Um, there, <laughs> we don't really know what happens to Ellie and Riley after they're bitten. We know that they have a line about let's be all poetic and lose our minds together, but we don't really know what happens after that. And okay. so the something, basically something has to happen. So I think there's a chance that Ellie has to kill her either before she turns or right after she turns. And that is why she doesn't want to talk about whoever the first
1: person she had to kill was. I think it has to have something to do with Riley. I'm not quite sure if that's the way they're going. Cause the, the way she said it made me think like it was not an infected person that she had to do it. But then, so maybe, it, yeah, maybe it is that Riley asked her to kill her so she wouldn't turn. But like, we know that that would change that line about, losing our minds together. I'm okay if they go that route. I I don't have any strong attachment actually to that line. Um mostly just because that's a bad plan, Riley. Uh <laughs> not very practical of just, you know what? Yeah, let we could be infected. It'll be cool. Um which again, I guess shout out to Riley because that let Ellie live, you know, that they didn't do that cuz she turned out to be immune. But um still not not the best plan I've ever heard.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it, but I mean, who am I to judge someone they when they've been bitten and know they're going to turn into a zombie? There yeah, were. But
1: I'm just. I'm wondering if it's 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 something darker or a different context. But well, we'll have it, to find it's it.
0: also if you think back to when Ellie is talking to Joel about killing people, killing the zombies, knowing that they used to be people, like. Maybe that's also she had to kill Riley right after she turned and kind of a reference to that as well. So I'm not sure it it's somebody important at the very least. If it's not Riley, then who else could it be? I don't know. Her, yeah. So I think it in some way has to be Riley, which this is now like, I think every episode we've gotten some sort of allusion to Riley.
1: They're doing a very good job of setting it up.
0: Yeah, which is something that you'll probably, for people who haven't played the game, will be able to go back and kind of look and realize how often she talked about Riley. But yeah, Riley is still very much someone that is
1: important to Ellie, and I mean, rightfully so. One thing I want to touch on on Sam is, had this realization when I was rewatching, and he... Uh, Sam is obviously drawing these pictures of Henry and Sam as superheroes. Pretty sure that Sam or maybe Henry or, or both uh are gonna be the ones that introduce Ellie to the comics, which as we know next episode is called Endure and Survive, which is the catchphrase from the Savage Star like comics that Ellie likes to collect and read and there are collectibles in the game. Um so I think that makes a ton of sense to connect that with Sam. It makes a lot more sense than Bill, um, just, yep. just in terms of who Bill is as a character. Um, I think it's more interesting that Ellie would have that bond and connection with Sam over that type of thing, as opposed to Bill. So I, I think I think that's where they're going. I would not be surprised, and I think I, I'm I'm already I, I'm I'm a fan of the change without having known that that's the change that's happening. <laughs> I'm I want that to happen, so I feel like that's probably where they're going with that. Uh, do you agree?
0: Yeah, it makes a lot more sense than than her just kind of randomly finding this uh comic on a stack of magazines that might have also had porn magazines with it as well in Bill's uh lair or wherever, safe house, whatever it is you want to call it. Also,
1: I'm expecting when Joel gets to Tommy, that dynamic's gonna be different, I feel like, than yes. it was in the game. Because I don't think Tommy's in the game, Joel's expecting to get this, like, cold welcome, and, and Tommy's just like, oh, holy shit. Oh, you got old, like, and and hugs each other, and then again like, they still have an argument later, but it's a very different dynamic than, obviously, what they've been setting up, which is that Tommy just peaced out from the Fireflies, and I'm presuming it's, we're going to find out that that's because he met, slash fell in love with Maria, who he's marrying and wants to start a family with, or whatever. Um... But interested to see how that changes things, which I hadn't really considered before. But now that we're getting, it's probably not going to be next episode, but it's probably going to be the episode after where we get to Jackson and Tommy. So I'm interested to see how that goes.
0: One of the other things you wrote down that's going to be interesting as well is uh, we don't see it happen on the in the game, but Maria telling Ellie about Sarah is going to be an interesting conversation because she then obviously brings it up to him at the ranch a
1: little bit later. Retroactively, I'm annoyed we didn't get that in the game. And yeah. so I'll, I'll be annoyed if we don't get it. Cause that's obviously a huge moment. That's where Ellie, uh, presumably everything clicks into place for her that she understands Joel and why he's so closed off and uh, the whole dynamic and how it's been changing. That's a big moment. I'm interested to see what they do with that. Um, I think they should put that on screen versus what they did in the game. And I'm interested to see what what Bella does with that moment as well.
0: A couple other notes, observations I had. Uh, The gun that they use is the same gun that they modeled the one in the game after. So effectively, it's the same gun as the one in the game. That's Ellie's gun is uh, effectively the same. Also, Ellie gazing at the stars at night. Um, she obviously wants to be an astronaut when she grows up. And uh, it just kind of caught my attention that her looking up at the stars and, and kind of dreaming about that is probably something that those are the types of moments where she kind of has those thoughts about wanting to be an astronaut.
1: And again, that illusion last week of referring to the car as like a spaceship. Yes. Um I think a little subtle, subtle nods. I don't, I don't know if they'll get in, if, if they'll talk about being an astronaut on this season, but or, or save it for next season. Um, But yeah, I agree. Uh, one interesting thing from the car ride conversation, Ali yeah, thinks that you'd still have to try and save the world. Joel obviously doesn't agree. Uh, Joel probably, you know, there's probably part of him that thinks it's just impossible. You can't save the world. It's gone to shit. This is what it is. And there's probably part of him that doesn't think it's worth saving. Even if you could. Uh, and it's hard to really blame him given what he's gone through. And then the other big thing that they teased for the next episode, which obviously we know what's it's a, it's a bloater, a bloater
0: are what is under that hole. It's, it's not, it's
1: not Salvador Perez. It's uh, it's, it's a bloater.
0: <laughs> well, it might be a formerly Salvador Perez. That is now no, he wouldn't, he
1: wouldn't be in Kansas city from, cause 2000, the timelines, you know, anyway, maybe it's Willie Rolfe. Willie Rolfe could be under, he'd, he'd probably be a big old bloater. That- that
0: was one of the things that uh, we did know the answer to. That's almost certainly bloaters under the, or a bloater. Screaming at the
1: podcast. What do you mean? It's a bloater.
0: Yeah. yeah uh, underneath the whatever that hole in the ground is. Also, they show it for next episode. Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. Come on, in the, HBO. In the preview for the next episode, they show a bloater. So which I'm going to be interested. Bloaters were really damn hard to kill in the game. Like, uh, are they even going to attempt to kill those things in the show?
1: Okay. F- full disclosure that we've established that we're both sickos. I kind of want to see the bloater. Oh rip someone's face off. <laughs> not Joel. We've seen that in enough times where the bloater rips Joel's face off. <laughs> but like, like what if that's the way Kathleen goes out is the bloater burst out and in her foolish quest for vengeance, uh, she, and, and not getting the bloater. The bloater emerges and goes <laughs> and just like, oh, man, that that would be gnarly and nasty. Um, I wouldn't. Yeah, be I don't it. I don't I don't think Perry and uh, and Kathleen are making it through the next episode.
0: No, I wouldn't be against uh, there being a bloater death because those were the most gruesome and violent, especially when it happened repeatedly to Joel over and over as you failed a level. Uh, it would be very. uh funny which, if it
1: was kathleen but which like would, that has to be this is just a, ra- a random small thing talking about video games but like that has to be one of the most like iconic uh uh player death animations that's ever <laughs> been created for a video game just because everyone knows, everyone that's played the game and died to a bloater knows exactly what we're talking about <laughs> um, uh because yeah. of that
0: i i yeah i actually think that you might want to put that into the show. You've talked me into it.
1: Ah, uh, it's going to be it would be disgusting and gl- and kind of glorious, but maybe gratuitous, but hey, it's HBO. The, that's 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 their thing. Uh and then just a small thing that um I'm sure we'll we'll talk about more in depth later, but just cuz it was on our mind, talking about it especially after we got this great Joel and Ellie episode, we're going to be puddles of uh of tears and and melted goo uh when Baby Girl Part 2 happens. We've actually tricked the audience into thinking you, you you said you said like oh, the baby girl is, is named after uh this moment with Sarah, which it kind of is, but not really, because uh we're when when jo- when if when when Pedro looks at Bella and says baby girl, no, we're we're gonna cry.
0: Yeah, that is going to be there's a couple things that the way that they're doing this is going to make those moments I mean, we just mentioned Sam and Henry, uh, that scene with David and Joel, I'm excited to see pissed off hardcore Joel now in, uh, trying to find, he's going,
1: she's going to mow people down yes. in that hospital. And, oh, well again, I was
0: talking about as well when, oh, uh, when, when they're, gender. yeah, when they're trying to, when Ellie is with David and he has to find out where she is, he's also going to mow people down for that as well.
1: And again, that, that's it's it's another thing of making the body count lower, and obviously, like they had to. There, there's no way they would have kept yeah. it the same. But and then adding weight to the consequence, that's gonna make those moments even uh, more interesting, impactful, divisive, shocking, uh, yeah. fascinating to watch, action, thrilling. Of when when that's when that switch flips, and Joel is there are people in his way uh, of, of getting to Ellie really interested to see those scenes.
0: And the, again, the finale is going to be, I think even more divisive than uh, it was in the game because they're, they're, I think part of the reason they're making Joel as kind of more open and he is, or than he is in the game is kind of creating that connection more for it so that there's, more reason to believe why he would make the decision he makes. And so I think just every kind of big moment left is going to carry a lot more weight to it with the way that they're doing this show right now.
1: One element that I'm that I'm going to be looking forward to talking about is and, and this this was obviously there, right? Of of Joel's trauma and the fact that he can't let that happen again. Yeah. But they also, especially in that first episode, they made it a lot more visible than it ever was in the game of of Joel just being like shocked and flashing back to that. And I, I think the audience very well understands that Joel has PTSD and that just adds, adds another layer of that choice of, I mean, it's not just that Joel would make that choice if he sat there and calmly thought about it and he values family above all else and he would make that choice. But it's also like, you're asking someone that, underwent the most traumatic thing possible to go through that again. You make yeah. someone dangerous when you do that. And it makes perfect sense. You know, And again, I've always said what makes the ending of The Last of Us so good is it's in some ways very shocking and very uh, polarizing in terms of a philosophical point of view. But there's absolutely no one that should have gone through this story and be surprised by what Joel does. They They yeah. set it up Perfectly, you understand perfectly who Joel is and why he makes that choice. And that's what makes it so, such a, such a good finale because you probably might not necessarily see that course of events coming, but it makes complete sense with the characters.
0: It's not the most, it's maybe humane decision, but it's also a decision that you can rationalize, which, um, that's a tough balance to find. And they're doing it again with even more kind of emotion and and more weight
1: to it in the show as well. And also something I texted you about that I've been thinking about just real quick we're gonna wrap up soon, but is we're we're gonna get to see Marlene have to promise Anna slash Ashley Johnson, who I'm so excited to see. Um she's gonna we're we're gonna see her promise that she's gonna look after Ellie. And that's going to make Marlene's character more interesting at the end that we we will have seen that moment and we will have seen Marlene grapple with that choice and make a very different decision than Joel does. And we'll have to live with what Joel does to Marlene after that. And it's uh, it's it's the finale is going to be so good. I'm excited anyway.
0: So that'll do it for us this week. Again, not entirely certain when we will, um, have the next episode up. I we're aiming for Sunday for, uh, if everything goes according to plan, uh, but at the very least it'll be up, uh, early next week as it always is. Appreciate you guys continuing to give us all the support that you have, whether on social media, whether on reviews, five-star reviews, help us out immensely, whether whatever it has been, we greatly, greatly appreciate it. So thank you guys for that. Go uh, cheese. Yeah, go Chiefs as well. Uh, ah, I and, got you to say it. And I'm rooting for Kansas City after uh, they were in the the in last of us. But uh, thank you to you guys. Big, big. I can't say that enough. I'm, I'm blown away by all the support we've had for this. So we'll be back perhaps later this week, but at the very least or, or next week, as always. Thank you. And for Tom, this is Jacob signing off. Have a great one, everybody.